It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. This week, we talked to Fox News foreign correspondent Trey Yingst about Afghanistan one year later. We especially wanted to mark one year since a suicide bomber at Hamid Karzai Airport killed 13 U.S. service members. Those were the first U.S. military deaths in the country in over 18 months. The explosion also killed dozens of Afghan civilians who'd gathered at the airport, many desperate to get out as we ramped up our departure and withdrew troops. We talked to Trey about what he recalled and what's transpired since as he went back to witness what had happened in Afghanistan over the prior year. He had a shocking amount of access to Taliban leaders and visited with mothers who watched their malnourished toddlers and babies languish in hospital beds as the country faces critical food shortages. One year under Taliban rule, and Trey says many of the civilians' fears have become realities. We often have to cut interviews down for time during the week, but we thought you might like to hear this full interview. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Weekday Rundown podcast if you haven't already. Now, here's Fox News foreign correspondent Trey Yingst on the Fox News Rundown Extra. So, Trey, um, take me back to late August of last year. I mean, were you, how close were you to Abigate on the 26th? And what do you remember about that day? So we first arrived in Afghanistan on the 22nd of August, 2021, and evacuations were underway at this time. The Qataris were using military planes to take Afghan civilians and those trying to flee the Taliban out of the country. And it was very chaotic at the airport then, and we were the first international crew to report live from the airport. When the explosion took place, we were in Doha, Qatar, and went back afterwards, and we saw the aftermath of the explosion in early September. But to give you a sense of just what things were like at that time at the airport, there was a sense of chaos. There were yeah. thousands of Afghans making their way to Bahamut Karzai International Airport, and no one knew if they could actually get out of the country. We all remember those mm-hmm. traumatic images of Afghan civilians clinging to the outside of U.S. military planes because they were terrified about what life would be like under Taliban rule. Now, a year later, we returned to Afghanistan and many of those fears became realities for those left behind. Trey, it was, we're going to talk more about what you've, you've seen you know, now that you're there again. Um, but it was initially very confusing, right? We found out six months after the explosion um, that it had been caused by a lone wolf. ISIS-K identified him as Abdul Rahman al-Logani, a militant who had been freed from one of the prisons by the Taliban. Um, and he'd apparently plotted a bombing in India before. He was known to U.S. intelligence. Uh, Army officials said later on that this was not preventable, this this attack. But I just want your thoughts about if you think that's entirely true. And maybe it's unfair to ask, but we were the ones leaving. The Taliban had taken over. Thousands of people, as you noted, packed into the airport, desperate to leave. We created a situation in which there was a large crowd at an open space and the Taliban was now in charge. Yeah, looking back, there has been a lot of analysis on what went wrong that day at Abbey Gate in Kabul. And 
the reality is that it was such a messy situation, it was hard to tell where threats were coming from. And remember at the time, the US pulled out of Afghanistan so quickly that they left behind not only military equipment, but also thousands of prisoners, many of whom are terrorists. And some of them were able to escape with the help of the Taliban and were roaming freely at this time. And it is the understanding of American officials that this individual was previously imprisoned in Afghanistan. And so not only groups like the Taliban, but you had even more extreme organizations like ISIS-K, the group responsible for this airport bombing, and also Al-Qaeda, who now had operatives freely roaming the streets of Kabul. And so it was something that we also explored when we went back this time, when we returned to Kabul, how much these organizations are able to operate in Afghanistan. And the Taliban says they are under control. But that day that this happened, the outer perimeter of the airport was basically under Taliban security. And then when individuals were able to make it to the inner part of the airport where Abbey Gate actually enters Kabul's international airport, that's where you had these British and American troops lined up trying to help process in some sort of order the chaotic situation. And that is what happened at the time. This suicide bomber entered this crowd of people in a trench that was just outside of Abbey Gate and detonated his device, killing an estimated 170 Afghan civilians and 13 American service members. Trey, we officially left, I think, like three days after that bombing. I think the last flight out, right, was the 29th. Um, since, you've, since you've been back, do you feel like there, there are additional, like, bitter feelings? I mean, after, after we left, right, the U.S., or, you know, after that bombing at the airport, we, the U.S. carried out that drone strike that killed those children. I understand the family's still not been entirely relocated, and they were promised that, but... What is your feeling now as you talk to Afghan civilians about our our departure and what the last year's been like? Well, you mentioned this family that had so many young children killed in a U.S. drone strike, a mistaken drone strike. The Americans thought they were targeting an ISIS-K operative, but actually it was a driver for a nonprofit and his mm -hmm. family and, and close relatives. We went to that house shortly after the strike took place that following month and talked with the family and the wreckage and aftermath of this Hellfire missile was still in the courtyard. You could still smell the, the burning metal in this courtyard. And we sat with this family and asked them how they planned to move forward. And they had a lot of requests of the Americans at the time. Some of those family members have been relocated to the United States. Others are still in Afghanistan. And their entire life was changed in a moment. And I think that their plea for, for help is not unique. While their situation was unique in, in this tragic scenario that unfolded in, in Kabul in the days after this bombing took place, there are so many Afghans still in Kabul and across the country who are looking to get out for other circumstances, for other reasons. We talked with one man who previously worked at the U.S. Embassy in Kabul, and he said he had applied for a special immigrant visa months ago. He has young children. He has a wife. He was not sort of a random 
a person as it relates to the United States. He had a specific role helping the Americans on the ground in Afghanistan. He had traveled to the United States and he still has not been approved for his special immigrant visa. And his case is not unique. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Your reporting has been, uh, I don't know, at this one-year marker, <laughs> kind of insane to watch. I mean, the Taliban's giving you this incredible amount of access, and the country's on the brink of starvation. I mean, we have U.S. officials and international officials saying it's dire. And our own State Department and others in the Biden administration are saying we can't really help much. If we unfreeze these central bank funds and get it to the people, we wouldn't even really know what to give it to. There's no, like, third party. Um, it, it could end up in the hands of the Taliban. Is it your sense that the Taliban is aware of how dire the humanitarian situation is, that their own people are starving? I think they understand, and they also understand the leverage that gives them in the international community. Uh. As you pointed out, we had pretty unprecedented access to Taliban-controlled Afghanistan a year after the group took control of the country. And we went back to a malnutrition ward that uh. we had visited previously, yeah. and the situation there is so bad that it's almost hard to put into words. I think even our report didn't do it justice. I mean, we, we gave the numbers of more than a million young Afghans under five years old who are on the brink of starvation. We spoke with a mother who had already lost three children yeah. to malnutrition, but yet still it feels like our efforts in reporting, at least personally, it, it feels like it's not enough because it's not just in Kabul, it's, it's all around the country. And as you've noted, there's so much money from the international community that's not making its way into Afghanistan. Now, it's important to note, a lot of US aid is still going into the country, but it's just not enough. I mean, the problem is getting worse and worse. The Taliban is increasingly isolated by the international community because of the way they treat women, because of the way they run their society. And it's a problem that has no solution. And so, there's this calculation going on right now in the international community. How do you help the Afghan people without bolstering Taliban rule? But the Taliban is in control of this country of nearly 40 million people. And while they rule through this strict interpretation of Islamic law, they rule. And that is the yeah. bottom line. They are in control of the country. And like it or not, this is the future of Afghanistan, at least in the short term. And this decision will have to be made by people uh, much higher than than the reporters who go there to to report on what's happening but it is a a decision that shouldn't be taken lightly but also should not be ignored and i think that's the biggest risk for right right now for afghanistan the biggest risk for afghanistan is that people will start to ignore this story and forget about these innocent civilians who are literally starving under taliban rule yeah it's, it's pretty simple actually right you either give millions of dollars to the Taliban and hope that the people get fed or you watch possibly millions starve. I mean, it's it really just that's what it comes down to. You just have to make some sort of moral calculation. Um, I, I'm the mother of two toddlers. So your reporting, I will tell you, was enough. Um, I lost it, uh, especially that woman who said that she'd already lost multiple children. When you talk to them, uh, do they blame us? Some of them do. 
Um, you know, I think it's something that gets lost in our reporting sometimes, but it's an important note. Not all Afghans were supportive of the American invasion. Many of them were not and still are not. It was a very bloody and challenging time period for the country. But with that said, they understand the value that American aid has in this country. And so when you ask a political question to these young mothers from places like Logar province or Helmand province, they really don't have much to say about American politics or the decisions made under previous administrations. They're so focused on feeding their children and their ability simply to survive. But I think speaking with them illuminated part of the story that I don't want to say we weren't thinking about, but I would say that we find challenging to tell only because of the access to these areas of Afghanistan. One mother that we met there in this malnutrition ward is 16 years old. And she told us that she lost her first child three years ago. Oh. So we're talking about a 13 year old girls, girls, like teenage girls who are mothers in Afghanistan in rural parts of the country. And while that is still uh, an issue and, and something that takes place around the capital, it's much more prevalent in rural parts of Afghanistan. And I think that also speaks to the issue of hunger in more rural parts of Afghanistan. There has been some very remarkable reporting by my colleagues in, in the media industry in more rural parts of Afghanistan that show there is simply no place to even find food, let alone if you can afford it. At least in Kabul, you see food in the streets. There are vendors out selling food. The problem is most people can't afford to buy that food. Trey, finally, we obviously, we all know at this point, we, we took out Ayman al-Zawari, a renowned terrorist, um, earlier in August. I, I know the Taliban um, says that's a violation of the Doha agreement. I know, I think you even got that on tape. Um, is it your sense that there will be some kind of I guess, retaliation for that. I, I, obviously, our relationship is strained at best. But what happens moving forward with um, our over-the-horizon capabilities and our promises to use them and what the Taliban does with that in response, if anything? Yeah, I don't think there'll be a direct response for the killing of Ayman al-Zawahri. The position of the Taliban, as they've communicated it to Fox News, is that they didn't know Zawahri was in the country and that from their perspective, al-Qaeda has no presence in Afghanistan. And we know that's not true. We know that there are some Taliban officials who are very well aware of who is in their country. To get in as an international journalist, it's quite difficult. And they know who is coming in, and they know, even in provinces far outside of the capital of Kabul, there is intelligence. There are ways that they can get information to understand who's operating in the country. So. I think that the organization tries to play dumb right now when it comes to sure. groups like Al-Qaeda operating there and, and the presence of Ayman al-Zawahri. So I don't think there'll be a direct response to that. You'll just hear more rhetoric and statements about how the United States shouldn't operate in a sovereign country. But I don't think you'll see a, a, a formal response from the Taliban in terms of action. Um, I think as this story progresses and as Afghanistan looks toward the future, you still have these other organizations that are operating on the ground in country. And 
The concern for American officials is that these organizations will use this instability to regroup and then ultimately launch attacks against the West as they did previously, as they did in the late 90s and early 2000s, sparking the U.S. involvement in Afghanistan. And so I think that's one major risk. It's a very real risk. U.S. officials don't believe groups like al-Qaeda have been able to regroup in the country, but they are still operating in splinter organizations. One other point that I'll, I'll make here, and, and I think it's of note based on our reporting on the ground, is that we talked to a police commander who is a Taliban fighter who used to serve in the jail of the police station he is now captain at, to give you just a sense of how upside down things are in Afghanistan right now. And I asked him about al-Qaeda and ISIS-K, the, the group responsible for the airport bombing. And he just said, these groups do not operate in Afghanistan anymore, and they've been totally cleared out by the Taliban. Mm. I think that speaks to two things. I think, one, it speaks to what you can take the Taliban at and what you can take their word at, and that is very little. You you simply have to be very critical of what the Taliban says, and we were critical in our interviews with them, pressing them on comments they made when they would say things like, women are free in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. We provided them with hard examples to ask them, well, how can you call this free if women can't go out at night? They can't be uh, educated in secondary schools. And then I think it The second thing that it speaks to is really the security situation on the ground. The Taliban is now in control of the airports. The Taliban is now in control of the borders. The Taliban is now in control of the foreign policy for Afghanistan. And so you have a group that was designated by the United States as a terror organization now running a country of nearly 40 million people. And so everything that takes place in Afghanistan from here on out has to be looked at through that lens. And so you have this police commander saying that these groups don't exist anymore. It's critical for journalists to continue having access to Afghanistan so that we can go there and hold the Taliban accountable for their words and for their actions and to hold every other organization that's operating on the ground in Afghanistan accountable for their actions. That's what we have pledged to do. It's what we are committed to doing in the future. But the bottom line is the most important people in Afghanistan are the civilians, the innocent civilians who are stuck in this ongoing conflict at whatever level it operates on, and the civilians who are, as we have noted, literally starving to death under Taliban rule. So that's what I would leave our listeners with as they think about this story and they think about that tragic day back at the end of August where those U.S. service members were killed. Not to go on too much, but I, as we, we talk here, I, I think back to, to one scene that I, I think would be representative of, of just something yeah, that I re- remember here. I don't mean to go on too much, but as we talk here, I, I recall the, these moments. There was a moment where we were at the airport, just to sort of bookend this here. We were at the airport in late August, and we were interviewing Afghans who were loading onto these military planes. Many of them had no idea where they were going. And there were a lot of young children and their parents had worked with the Americans, maybe as translators or interpreters or embassy employees. And I remember there was a little boy and he was crying and he was sort of running around and there was an American soldier there. This was before the bombing took place. And he gave him an MRE, a, a meal. And the, the little boy didn't eat the meal. He, he held on to it like a teddy bear. Aww. And I think that that spoke to me, just that, that moment, because I think it's a reminder that while we talk about ISIS-K and we talk about the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and all of these really tragic 
political decisions and situations that are unfolding in Afghanistan and have unfolded in the past, the people who are paying the highest price there are the children, the next generation, the young Afghans who are starving and who just want to be kids. They want to laugh, they want to play, they want to run around, and they want to just simply survive. And if the world forgets about Afghanistan, many of them will not have the ability to survive, to simply just be children and, and live and have some future. And so that's what's at stake here. And that's just simply why we are committed to continue reporting on this story. And it is why the world should not turn away from Afghanistan, despite the fact that the Taliban is in control. Trey Yanks, uh, MVP Trey Yanks, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.